Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough Winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 54 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And sadly, this is the first week I have to open the show in quite some time that the Mets are not in first place. The Mets are actually in third place as Joe and I sit here on a Tuesday afternoon recording our midweek show. But this is going to be a race that goes down to the wire, folks. Do not panic. I know it's impossible to not be down and out right now about the stretch of games. They are two and eight in their last 10 games. It's tough to have the Phillies jump you, but it's even worse to also have the Braves jump you. So a tough stretch for the Mets. And today uh, we're basically going to play therapist. It's going to be a mailbag heavy show. We got a ton of your questions in here. A lot of them about the now, a few of them about the future, of course. But before we get to that episode 54 one random TJ Rivera, another random Alex Torres, who is very famous for wearing his padded hat on the mound for the Mets, I think in 2015. So you don't remember who I'm talking about. Just Google Alex Torres padded hat. Uh, nothing really special about the players that have worn number 54 in Mets history, unfortunately. So let's get Joe in here. Joe, how are we holding up, man? We're doing all right. And, you know, as we continue on with these, the quality of player that wears these uniform numbers is going to re- continually reduce. Uh, but what I'll say is TJ Rivera is a guy that when he first came up, I was like, this guy's going to be on like an MLB bench for like five to 10 years. Like contact hitter, never struck out, played a few positions, had some clutch hits for the Mets too. Um, just, yeah, I hope everything's good with TJ. I mean, honestly, it was funny when I was doing the research for our rundown today, I was looking at it and thinking, wow, TJ Rivera is exactly what this team needs right now. And that is a guy, like you said, Joe, that doesn't strike out and that obviously filled the utility role. He played all across the infield. But with Rivera, someone who was not drafted, is from New York City. It was a really fun story at the time. In 2016, when he came up as a 27-year-old, in 33 games, he hit 333. And then in 2017, in 73 games, he hit 290. And the guy got on base, um, you know, not a ton of pop, but like you said, a contact hitter and someone that I think would balance out a lineup really well in today's game that is so strikeout heavy across the league, not just the Mets, uh, and lacking contact. And it's unfortunate that, you know, he had an elbow injury and just he never came back. He, he really never got it back together. So a really fun story for an undrafted guy that comes up at 27 and his best days were behind him pretty much after age 28. So a, a quick blip on the radar for TJ Rivera and one of the more, you know, 
kind of somber stories of Mets that have come up out of nowhere. Yeah, really unfortunate, obviously, with the elbow with Rivera. But, you know, it it happens. And uh, I got to say, with Alex Torres and the padded hat, that's one thing that the Mario hat. Yeah, that's one thing that I was certain was never going to uh, catch on with other people (laughs) when when he did that. I mean, and think about the big helmet too. remember David Wright had the uh, like the the alien helmet. And I was I was like, please tell me that's not going to catch on, too. And. Certainly n- neither have, but Alex Torres was, uh, you know, he was okay for a minute, I guess. But yeah, 54, not the proudest number in Mets history. Well, he was a solid lefty for the Mets in 2015, pitching, you know, almost 35 innings to a 3-1-5 ERA. And then he just kind of disappeared, which it was bizarre because I think he, he wasn't even, he didn't even reach 30 years old yet. So yeah, when you when I was doing research for this show, I was like, God, this number segment is so bad that I almost want to skip it this week. But I will not, no matter who is on the board. And of course, could have talked about and knew I would talk about TJ Rivera for a bit because uh, that's a pretty more recent, relevant kind of story. But I had forgotten about the padded hat until I really started to look into <laughs> Alex Torres. And before I laughed at it, I wanted to make sure he wasn't out there wearing it because he got like hit in the head while on the Mets because you know everything. Bad like that it seems to happen in this franchise, but no, he was just, um, you know, trying to be a forward thinker, a trendsetter in the league, and uh, it <laughs> it looks so ridiculous, man. I mean, his hat, his hat with the Padres was even funnier because with the Mets, he wore like a regular hat, but like had like it appeared. Obviously, I'm sure it wasn't, but it, it looked, looked like, like a, a plain vel- pillow, like a Velcro <laughs> plain pillow wrapped around his head. In San Diego, he actually had like a bigger hat oh that my was God. padded this so, is unbelievable yeah. yeah so if you look the at paddings that, on the inside of yeah. the hat instead so it looks like mario's hat <laughs> <laughs> what is this oh my god i mean we had to bring you know start the show on a lighter note with what's going on with the mets and it's amazing it's really funny how timing works in the podcasting and sports world what better than episode 54 Alex Torres and his ridiculous hats there. I mean, this is I'm having so much fun on Google images right now. Just looking through all of these. I there's no way you can go out there wearing this and think everything's okay. I'm truly perplexed. Uh, I am somebody that has very little shame, especially with things I wear at times. But this is really I, I mean, unless somebody was making him go out there for medical reasons to wear this, I am perplexed that any human would not only do this with one team, but uh, two teams, two different models. I-, I hope he didn't get blackballed out of baseball for looking so ridiculous like this. Can you imagine that? It's just like Alex Torres. We can't have this th- guy out there. Th- He's a meme. Three point one five ERA last year. We want him. Did you see his hat? Hell no. Yeah, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! All right. So on to the more serious. The Mets are two and eight in their last ten games. Uh, the season's not over, everyone. It is hard, understandably, to even be on Twitter during these games these days. And, you know, it was a good time for me. I, I was away um, Friday through Sunday. I was up visiting some friends in, in Buffalo, and uh, I really did not watch a ton of the Philly series. I, I watched, I pretty much watched most of the game Sunday because we were on our way home and I just had it streaming on the phone and I didn't miss anything. Uh, it seemed like the other two days. But, you know, this has been a skid for the Mets. It's you can kind of feel this coming uh, from a mile away in a sense, whether it was you 
know, they've had injuries, but the offense has just not gotten in its groove. And you knew that if the pitching stopped being perfect, that the offense would either have to pick things up or this team would really start to hit an absolute skid and bottom out. And, and unfortunately, the latter has happened. And on the good news side, the glass half full side, uh, there's plenty of time left. And, you know, the Mets have an interesting schedule. While very soon they're going to be playing some very, very good teams from the West, they also play a lot of bad teams that have already sold from the East. So, you know, I, I know people aren't really going to want to hear it for the most part. A lot of people are are yelling at everything, and you're allowed to do that. I have no problem with it. I'm not going to spend this show whether it's complaining about the trade deadline or saying this team's gutless or getting on Rojas, uh, I'm, I'm not really going to spend a ton of time doing that. I'm going to look more towards solutions and some hope. And if this time next week, this team is, you know, whatever it may be, uh, if, they, if they go one and six between now and our next show, then it's then it's time to probably scream and yell and, and really complain. But what is your... What is your mindset and, and how have you really taken this all in so far, Joe? You're usually even more level-headed than me, so I'm curious. So I'm always thinking big picture. So I don't, I don't know if I'm necessarily always the best person to ask about like instant reactions because I'm always thinking big picture. But obviously, let's just, I mean, you have to call it what it is. The offense stinks right now and it has for some time. And for a while, we blamed it on getting healthy and then they got healthy and it's like, all right, well, they just got healthy. So now they just need some reps and then they're going to be back. They had a few games right after the All-Star break. I think it was it was Pittsburgh and then whoever they played after Pittsburgh, they scored like seven plus runs, three of four, three of five games. And I was like, OK, the offense is coming. And then it's just flat line sense. And it, it, it I understand when people say it is difficult to watch. It's difficult to watch this offense. Like it's at the point where they load the bases with nobody out. And I'm just sitting there going, how are they going to manage to score no, no runs here? Like it's incredible. And they keep doing it. It's, it is absurd how the offense is performing and the pitching, the pitching's not bad. They're just coming back to reality and being like the pitching's okay. They're giving up three runs, four runs, like a four run lead feels insurmountable the way that the offense is going right now. Uh, I really expected the second half that, you know, everything kind of evens out. The pitching was too good in the first half. The offense was too bad. All right, they're going to meet in the middle and be what they are. The pitching has got its way to the middle and the offense has forgot to, you know, join it there in the middle and, and pick up the slack. So it's very difficult. Um, I think having big picture reactions, I know people talking about, Rojas and and you know even the GM and the trade deadline and everything it's just like can we just realize it's been you know just a really tough 10 game stretch and if they have a good week this week we're having a different conversation obviously like you said if they go one and six and get and don't score any runs again and again and again at some point you have to freak out but at two and a half games back as we record it's right there. They still can win the division. And I know people are upset about which this, I don't understand why people are losing their mind about Pete Alonzo being confident saying that they got this. And same, I'm with you on this, that I don't understand. Like, are they supposed to be as miserable as the Mets fans are on Twitter? Like that's, 
their job as professional athletes is that they're going to walk in the door every day and say, I'm the best. And you have to believe that as a professional athlete. If you fall to negativity and things like that, you're you're done for. I mean, it's prevalent in the NFL. It's prevalent in baseball, basketball. Like these guys, when they say they think they're the best, they have to genuinely believe that. And the Mets are a good roster. Let's not forget that. Are they playing to their capability and their potential? No, that's clear as day. Like any idiot can tell you that. But you can't tell me you're looking at tonight's lineup and saying, man, that lineup stinks. Because it doesn't. It's a talented baseball team that's not performing the expectations. And maybe they don't for the rest of the year. You know, maybe the this ends up being a season where they don't make the playoffs. But I think one thing that, you know, people are getting after Steve Cohen, which, again, we said it last week. Don't need to tweet everything you think. You could avoid that. Uh, and, you know, obviously he's he's tweeted the last few days some things, you know, getting into the locker room and, and all that. And it's just like I could do without that. But at the same time, like Steve Cohen, if you he shouldn't even have said this at the beginning, but he said, you know, I want to win a World Series in three to five years. The fans aren't giving them three to five months. And like, yeah, we forget, too, that in in his first offseason, they overhauled half of the 40 man roster. They traded for a superstar who hasn't obviously performed like a superstar and now is injured in Lindor and gave him $340 million. Things are going to be different. And maybe you're not getting the immediate results that you want, but they, they've also played 60 baseball players this year. <laughs> they've fielded over two full baseball rosters. That's how many players that the Mets have used this year. It's, it's crazy. It's a crazy level of injury and they toughed it out and it's catching up to them a little bit for sure. But you look at the, like I said, you look at the lineup tonight. If they go and put up a seven spot tonight, like I'm not going to fall off my chair in shock, but it it is crazy how they are. They've really just fallen apart offensively over the last, I mean, it's really a month at this point, but most notably the last 10 games. Right. It's, it's disappointing. And I think the timeline impacts everything, right? If this is a team that had fallen apart when Cameron Mabin was batting clean off, clean up, then and they were still hanging around right now two and a half games back people might be like well pitching helps on the way and maybe the hitting will turn around they'd be looking for the positives but the fact that they were in first place for so long and they've bottomed out when a lot of guys have gotten healthy but they are missing the the best arguably maybe the best player on the planet this year and Jacob deGrom you're gonna take a step back and it's funny how you know, and I like I really like the way you frame this, Joe. You said the pitching is going to take a step back and go towards the middle because everybody's acting like, oh, my God, no, they all stink now. It's like, no, they're going towards the middle where, you know, it's funny to me. Taiwan Walker the other night, uh, the other day, you know, throws six innings and gives up three runs. And it's like, oh, my. And I know he's given up some uh, the home run ball a lot this year. And I know the starts before that have been bad. That's a quality start, though, in the big leagues. And the bottom line is Taiwan Walker was signed here to be the number five in this rotation, and he's pitched like a number two all year. It's going more towards the middle. The bottom's not falling out. The, just the fact is the hitting needs to pick things up, and there's still time to do it, but the, the hourglass is starting to empty out of sand, right? I think that's how I look at it, and and it's emptying out of sand for, for some guys in terms of how they'll be viewed going forward with this franchise. Like 
Pete Alonso has really been the guy we all thought he'd be this year. He's not somebody, and, and I know he's having a, he's gone cold very recently, but overall, Pete Alonso's numbers is are kind of what you expect for who he is, right? He's he's already hit 24 home runs. Uh, he's somebody that's that's getting on base at a pretty good clip. And, you know, he's had some huge hits this year for this team, but he's also someone that unfortunately is going to strike out a decent amount, you know, and I think when you look at it, it's the guys like Conforto that, man, it, things have just been so, so bad this year and they just don't appear to it feel it, it's at the point with Conforto. And I know he's actually hit the ball pretty hard uh, recently, even though he's gotten out a lot that you, it just feels like it's never going to turn around. And you just wonder how that can impact him long term if he's going to be here long term. And it almost feels like if things don't turn around within the next, what, two weeks with him, uh, we might have the answer to that question that he he just won't be here long term. There's just so many things like that on the line. So it's tough. It's really tough. And there is a lot of time, right? I mean, there's 50 games left. And these guys, I'm with you also that. I don't want to hear Pete Alonso. I don't want to see him like with a towel over his head, just barely answering questions. I like that Pete, it, you know, he faces the media when things are wrong and he keeps a positive attitude and, and he is confident they, that they are going to win and they are going to get things right. Because with a season as long as MLB, the you know, Major League Baseball is, you have to be ready to deal with the highs. And most importantly, you have to be able to deal with the lows. And this team is absolutely at their lowest point of the year, I think, right now. And we're going to learn a lot about their heart. We're going to learn a lot about their character. I ironically, because I know everybody has this fear factor about facing the Giants and Dodgers soon. It feels like with the Mets, they have played down to their competition against teams like the Pirates and the Nationals and the Marlins. And it feels like they have played up to their competition when it comes to a team like the Padres and other teams like that. So they're kind of difficult to figure out right now. And, and that's something that is going to be a major storyline because they have a boatload of games left against the Marlins and the Nationals. And they have a good amount of games here against the Giants and the Dodgers. And and you're going to learn a lot about this team. Can you go out and maybe surprise against the Dodgers and the Giants? Well, that would be great. But then you got to go take care of freaking business against the Marlins and the Nationals. So, And that starts this week with the Nationals. If, if you want to show teams, especially the Phillies that are probably laughing right now and the Braves, that you're not you're going to be a tough out. You're going to hang around here to the finish line. You got to go win at least two out of three. More importantly, probably all three against the Nationals. So uh, this is a, a gut check for the Mets here, and, and it's for everybody. It's not just on Louis Rojas. It's not just on Zach Scott or Sandy Alderson or whatever Steve Cohen tweets, which I you know at the moment I could do without. But the guy has given me more hope about this franchise than I've had in over a decade. So it doesn't really bother me that much personally. And of course, every player in that team. And we're going to learn. So, you know, we're going to and we're going to keep this conversation going when we get into the mailbag, because obviously most of the questions are about the right now with this team. Uh, but before we do, because I want to make that full transition, I want to do a minor league roundup, like we said, and we read the reviews. It seems like everyone actually really likes that this show covers every phase of this franchise. So we always want to at least touch on what's going on with the prospects and with the minors. Uh, there's nobody better in the business at that than Joe. Uh, which is why I think a lot of people probably do listen to this pod, which is really exciting. So, Joe, with the minors, it, the storyline all year has been the top guys have performed even better than we expected, quite frankly. Brett Beatty has been everything and more. Ronnie Mauricio has had some bright points. Uh, Francisco Alvarez has been a superstar in the making. And there's even been some surprises. 
let's start with the not so obvious. Who are the guys in the minors right now that maybe aren't household names or maybe just snuck into your top 20 prospects that are making some noise right now? Yeah, there's a, there's a few guys that I want to talk about. Uh, Jose Buto, right-handed pitcher. If you read it, it's B-U-T-T-O, but is not pronounced Butto. It's Buto. I've said that before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so Jose Buto has been very good since getting called up to Double A Binghamton. Uh, he had six shutout, eight strikeouts the other day. Uh, he profiles, you know, as a back end type starter, but he's a guy that when you look next year and he's in AAA Syracuse, he could be starting pitching depth for you. Um, guy Josh Walker, another one who's stepped up a bit. Uh, he started the year, so he's a 26 year old. He started the year in high A Brooklyn, and he's currently in AAA Syracuse. So he's played at three different levels this year. And his last two starts have been eight innings shutout and seven innings shutout for AAA Syracuse. So Walker's a guy that just snuck inside my recently updated top 20 um, on SMY.TV. And he's a guy that, you know, there's a chance he pitches at some point in, you know, the rest of the year if there's a double header or there's another injury or something where they need a starter. Like, I'd rather just take my chances with a guy like Josh Walker than give Jared Eikhoff another chance. I mean, what's what's the worst that happens here? Yes. And then a uh, friend of the show, Jake Mangum, who, you know, I, I wouldn't call him, you know, a, a not household name, but he's, you know, certainly not a top five guy in the system. But uh, he actually is on a great stretch for A Binghamton and got the A Northeast Player of the Week. And his former college teammate and also current teammate in Binghamton, uh, Cole Gordon, who was a 32nd rounder out of Mississippi State in 2019, same year as Mangum, he actually got the A Northeast Pitcher of the Week award. So Mets sweeping those awards. Uh, Gordon was a guy that arrived to Mississippi State as a position player, converted to a pitcher, pitched fully out of relief for Mississippi State, and the Mets are trying him as a starter. He's had some ups and downs, but his last two starts have been fantastic. Six uh, six shutout innings in each of them, uh, striking out a bunch of guys up to 95 on the gun. So, you know, maybe a little interesting arm there that maybe profiles more as a reliever long-term, but the Mets are at least giving him a shot to be a starter. Yeah, I think it's good to hear, you know, for a system that doesn't have a lot of big name arms, especially after whether it's not signing rocker or Matt Allen's going to be down and out with the injury for a while uh, to hear some, you know, surprises, quite frankly. And, and you know, I, I've kept an eye on Josh Walker. Uh, he went to my high school, um, you know, comes from a great family. So definitely some more rooting interest there and really hoping to see him with the big league club. If not this year, definitely next year. Uh, it's pretty crazy when a 37th round pick ha has a legit shot. So that would be a big a big bonus for this Mets team if he can be a part of their future. And then, you know, of course, taking your attention to uh, the big boppers, the big bats, has anyone, you know, cooled off or fallen off? Or, or are these guys just basically all setting themselves up for to stay on the trajectory of, you know, they're not going to be promoted at this point of the year, but to start at a bigger level next year? So Alvarez has hit a bit of a wall. Um, here a bit. He's he, he hit a huge home run the other day. Absolute monster shot. Almost hit for the cycle. So he's still hitting the ball hard, but I, I think he's just hitting a bit of a wall in his first full professional season, which would should be expected for a 19-year-old kid playing catcher in high A ball, which is 
advanced for his age. So he's hitting a bit of a wall, but obviously the talent is he's number one prospect in the system. And I don't think to me, there's even a debate for anybody else. Um, Brett Beatty on fire. I mean, he's figuring out double A now when he first started, which to me, and I've been told the biggest adjustment is from high A to double A. That's when you start seeing pitchers pitch backwards to you, um, pitch smarter. It's not just trying to overpower you with 95 miles an hour like a lot of kids will do in single A. Uh, so it's an adjustment period, and he adjusted, and he's absolutely raking ever since. Um, Ronnie Mauricio is actually in a bit of a hot streak. He's hitting for more power, hitting the ball very, very hard, striking out less. Uh, he still needs work on his plate discipline and drawing walks. That's really not part of his game. Uh, and ultimately, I think to maximize his potential, he's going to have to, at some point here, uh, draw some more walks. Mark Vientos is a guy that has been on fire for over two months. He's on the COVID protocol list. I don't know that he has COVID necessarily, but he's just, he's not playing right now. But yeah, I mean, you look at these top guys in the system, they're all performing essentially two expectations, if not exceeding. Yeah, I think that's big to hear. It feels like they've been pretty consistent for the most part, which is for young players, that's all you can ask for. And with Alvarez, like you said, he's what, a 19 year old in high A. He's just, he is just, um, been such an impact player at such a young age it feels like he's one of the rare guys that we could see wearing a major league uniform at what 22 which is just remarkable especially at that position where um there's a lot on your shoulders calling games and and obviously you need to have an impact bat at a position that often does not produce offensively throughout the league to be called up that young so he can be and uh, you've said it before you you think he's the guy that could be an all-star out of everybody in the farm system and i think that is uh, if you get anything close to that, especially the timing of him coming up with McCann's contract, it's one of those situations that can can alter this franchise from, hey, we have a really good team. We have a competitive team to, hey, we have a competitive advantage behind the plate that that can really change things for five to eight years. And it's very uncommon to have that. I mean, how many great catchers are there in baseball? Like, a, I mean, not much. Yeah, a small handful. And Alvarez, it's a chance to be one of them. Uh, obviously, it's going to take time and we'll see how it all comes together, but man, the Mets are very excited about him. I'm very excited about him and uh, just, just really excited to see his development. And now these guys that we've been talking about for a couple years where, you know, when we would talk last off season, it's just like, yeah, these guys are talented, but they're far away. Well, they're getting closer to not being far away. I mean, Beatty and Vientos are both in double a, I would assume they would start next year in triple a Syracuse. Alvarez and Mauricio should both get to double A for next year. So these guys quickly went from not close to not that far away. So good development from, you know, the top prospects in the system, which Kylie McDaniel actually put out a top 50 prospects in all of baseball. And the Mets were tied for the most in the top 25 of any team in baseball, which kind of with three, they had Alvarez at eight, uh, Beatty, I believe, was 15 or 16, and Mauricio was 25. And it goes to my point that the top of this system is as good as any system in baseball. It's just getting those pieces behind. Um, you know, hopefully next year's draft, two first round picks, and, you know, hopefully they could get a little more aggressive internationally. You can quickly 
make this a, a really, really good system. Without a doubt. And that's something that we're going to have our eyes on uh, because it's, you know, it just enables everything, whether it's more having more middle tier prospects, you, you could do you do a lot more trade action at the deadline because you're not going to give up those top guys. We can give more volume in return. And quite frankly, reinforcements. We've seen what the Mets reinforcements from AAA have looked like this year, and you would prefer them to be uh, a little sturdier than that. So, all right, let's get to the mailbag. We have a lot here, a lot on our plate, taking things back to the big league club, and there's something we touched on in the beginning. This, were, this one is from Jordan Simpson. The next 31 games consist of 13 versus the Giants and Dodgers and 18 versus the Marlins and Nats. As tough as this week was, Right here is the crucial stretch. If you can hang in versus the Giants and Dodgers and take advantage of the fish and the Nats, you're in a great spot going forward. Thoughts? Well, yeah, I mean, without a doubt, there is, if you're looking for an optimistic view, it's the fact that the schedule, while it has some big highlights of of tough teams like the Giants and Dodgers, two of the best in baseball, it has an even bigger blip of, of poor teams that have sold their marquee players off at the deadline for the most part. That's the bright side. The not so bright side is that the Mets have played like crap against those teams. And we just saw it against the Marlins. So I am a believer that they can get right. And I'm a believer that they can take advantage of the schedule. And we saw them do it two years ago when they went on a torrid stretch in August to go from afterthought or really a nobody club uh, into a legitimate contender down to the wire. And it didn't work out for them. But they made things interesting because of how hot they got in August. So, and if you remember that stretch when they won, like, God, it felt like 14 out of 15 games at one point. I mean, they beat the crap out of bad teams. And guess what? That's great. Everyone gets to play bad teams. Just a matter of when, not if. So I look at it like, yes, there is a legitimate chance in the next 31 of what, 50 games to maybe take first place back, maybe tie it up, or at least at a minimum hover around that when you see the Phillies or the Braves at the end of this year, well, then it's always nice when your destiny is in your hands. But this team needs to prove that they can put themselves in that place. No, you're absolutely right with that. But I think Jordan sums it up perfectly. This is obviously the most crucial stretch of the season for the team. And what he's describing is what good teams do. Like, if you tell me what is a good team, a good team is one that beats the crap out of bad teams and hangs in there with the really good teams. You you shouldn't have the expectation that they're going to sweep the Dodgers and the Giants. The expectation should be you sweep out the Marlins and the Nationals. And they have not done that. To your point that you mentioned earlier, they have played down to their competition as well as playing up to their competition. They need to step up at this point in time you know, and take care of business against these bad teams. And if they're able to, you know, win, you know, two out of three every series for the Nat- versus the Marlins and the Nationals, you probably will be in first place and probably in first place by a couple games. I mean, the Phillies and, and Braves are obviously playing pretty good baseball, but I'm not afraid of those teams. I don't think they're going to go on some torrid pace. And, you know, the Phillies are obviously really hot right now, but, you know, they could just as easily have a 10-game stretch like the Mets did. So it's far from over. Um, Could they be in a great spot going forward? Yeah, if they take care of business the way Jordan sums it up here, then yes, they should, like you said, control their own fate. 
if they're able to take care of those bad teams, hold their own against the really, really good teams, there's no reason why with, so at 31, they'll have, what, less than 20 games to go. They shouldn't be in either in first place or basically in control of their own destiny. I mean, that's what it comes down to, right? And that's all you want if you're an athlete, if you're a manager, is that you don't want to be playing every day and looking up at the scoreboard and hoping, can we can we catch a game here? And dang, we got three to go and we got 10 games left in the season. Like That's not what you want to be. So it's and, up to them. And frankly, as a fan, for me, I know that clearly Mets Twitter disagrees with me based on how the timelines have been for the last uh, couple of weeks. But if the Mets are contending for a division and playing, I know everyone jokes about the meaningful game in September line that the Wilpons used to drop. But if you mean to tell me the last week or two of the baseball season, I'm fully invested in the Mets because they're playing for a playoff spot. I, sign me up. Like, sure, I'd rather clinch oh, it. Hell yeah. Sure, I'd rather clinch it tomorrow. But, you know, I'm used to looking at training camp after a trade deadline for the NFL. <laughs> like trade deadline would come, yeah. Mets met sell off a couple rentals. And then, yeah, you know, I'll watch the games, but I'm not going to go out of my way. I just want the Mets to compete. And it's, you know, obviously not going well right now, but I have the expectation that it's going to be competitive and down to the wire for the division. And if they're able to, you know, win this division, get in the playoffs, you never know what can happen if you actually get in. So, you know, I understand being upset being frustrated that's certainly you're right as a fan but don't give up on the team yet just because it's a bad stretch i mean they have they have time they have games that they can win they just have to go out and do it yeah i mean that's what it comes down to you all you can do is is go out and produce and you know buck some of the trends that have been ugly this year all right the next one is from steve miller always sends us good stuff he says i saw a writer say conforto is trending towards castellanos money uh, that would be four, four years, $64 million, with his down year instead of Springer money, which was six years, $150 million. Would the Mets still offer a, a qualifying offer if he doesn't improve much the rest of the year? Does it make him more likely to sign that or a lower overall contract? What do you think, Joe? And you've you've kind of hinted back and forth. It's no lock that they off they give him the qualifier. I mean, if he keeps hitting like this, how could you say we'll commit $20 million for a year for you? I mean, or whatever, the, num yeah. the number will be up. I don't know if you can. Um, certainly, if you were to do that, I would imagine Michael Conforo would be more prone to accept it and say, I'll go back to New York one year, 20 million bucks, reestablish myself and get that money. Because like you know, Steve points out here, before the season, it was... They didn't sign George Springer because they're thinking ahead to Michael Conforto's money, which I understood the logic. And obviously, in hindsight, it's just like, oh, how dumb was that? Because Springer's raking and Conforto's been terrible. Uh, but if you're talking about him becoming four years, $64 million, I mean, I'd rather pay that <laughs> than, one, than one year, 20 million. And then I have a chance and then he just walks away. I'd rather take my chances on a deal like that. It's just a matter of how does he do the last 50 games here? You know, if Conforto goes on a 50 game hot streak, which we know he's capable of doing, it's let, let he's stinking right now, but let's not act like Michael Conforto is now all of a sudden void of talent. He has talent. He's just really, really bad right now. 
And if it works out that I could get him for four years and 60 million bucks, I mean, sign, sign me up for that. Sure. I, I would I would agree with you. Man, if it just doesn't get better, you just got to wonder what they do. Like, it, do they? And it, they're going to know things behind the scenes that none of us will. Is there something they see uh, wrong with Conforto that they think they can fix and get him back to the player he was last year? Or do they think, you know what? This is just not working and we're not even going to get involved here, especially with somebody in Scott Boris that I think more often than not, they'd rather not be involved in. Uh, now, of course, Conforto has been a big piece of this franchise for the better part of half a decade now, longer than that, unbelievably. And there probably is some feelings here that, you know, I, you know, it's it's hard for me. I, I don't like using attachment as a reason why front offices will think to keep players, because I, I think the good ones don't do that. And I think right now it's unfortunate, but. It's not really a lot of love lost with the fans and their feelings towards Conforto. And as much as I love the guy and, and you know, the first time I saw him play, he hit two home runs in a World Series game. And that's one of my favorite moments as a fan sitting in the stands um, in my entire life. It's just it's not working this year. And it's frustrating because you sit and look at it and go, if he was even having an average Conforto year, not like his peak year. This this team might look a lot different offensively. So there's there is time left, not a lot, but there's time left. But I do think when you look at it, Steve, the way you frame this question, there is no way Conforto can hit the market and, and expect to get six years, one fifty over six years. I, I'm you know, maybe someone will surprise me, Joe, but I, I don't even think we're gonna be in that stratosphere at this point. I mean, the way he's playing, it can't be, but it's just it's just a real, a really tough spot because we we talk about this with Noah Syndergaard all the time, right? And it's just like I would really hate to let Michael Conforto walk away and then watch him go back to being a thirty home run, really good everyday right fielder somewhere else. And I know he has it in him. And Conforto, you know, he's one of the leaders in the clubhouse. Uh, he's their union rep, so he's a very valued member of this organization. Uh, I don't envy the decision that the Mets will have to make when it comes to Conforto. Uh, I would imagine that they would err on the side of, you know, protecting themselves. So unless he literally just doesn't hit at all, maybe they just throw the qualifying offer out there. It's Steve Cohen here. We're not, are we haggling over $3 million, $4 million and stuff like that anymore? We shouldn't be. That's the, that's the point of Steve Cohen. That's, what I'm being told about Steve Cohen is that not that money doesn't matter. It's always going to matter to some level. It doesn't mean they're just going to give whatever to whoever. But when it comes to dollars like that, is it worth offering one year 20 and saying, you know, maybe it works for both of us. You come back, you reestablish yourself, you help the 2022 Mets. And, you know, if you, if it's worth it, we'll pay you after that. If not, you'll get your payday somewhere else. And then worst case, if he decides or him and Scott Boris decide that they're going to decline the qualifying offer, then you add more draft capital to your already, you know, bigger pool that you're going to have. You know, it's it's interesting, too, when you look at it, it might just be best for both sides, right? That, you know, Conforto gets a nice payday in a one year season. He can reset his market. And I think even more importantly for the Mets, it buys them time to figure out 
what they're going to do with right field after Conforto. And what I mean by that is you're you feel like you don't need to keep Conforto here after 2022 because you've already come up with a solution. Maybe that is Mark Vientos in right field. And I know that that might be a stretch at this point, but maybe it is Mark Vientos in right field. Maybe there is an alternative solution uh, that they like. There's just a lot of different ways of looking at it. So that's you're right. It's it's the most interesting decision right now of the offseason um, besides external moves internally. I think it's the most interesting one. And it, it we're, we we talk about it almost every week at this point because it, it's that relevant. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job posts at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It goes without saying that we are all missing travel right now. But you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals, flights, and more. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, this view is incredible. More, mmm, another round of room service, please. More, yes, I'm extending my vacation. Sorry, boss, if you're listening, just ignore that last part. Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, check out Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more wow, mmm, and yes, just to name a few. Make sure to download the Priceline app for even more savings. This episode is brought to you by Cox Home Life. Cox helps make your home smarter and your life easier. And now you can use your Contour voice remote to connect to your home life cameras. So you can view them right on your TV screen using simple voice commands. That makes it easy to keep tabs on what's happening around your home right from your couch. Need to keep an eye on the kids when they're playing outside? Just say, show me my backyard camera into your Cox voice remote and watch them while you're in the house. If you're waiting for a delivery and want to make sure it's there on time, no problem. Say, show me my driveway camera to check on it with your Home Life HD cameras on the TV screen while you go about your day. When you live in a home powered by Cox Internet, you can stay connected to what matters and let Cox take care of the rest. To learn more about all the benefits of your connected home, visit cox.com slash this is home. All right, the next one is from Jeff. Should the Mets not make the playoffs? Oh, let me re- let me rephrase this question. He says, basically, if the Mets don't make the playoffs, should we expect a new face of the front office? I 
would not be shocked. I don't think. Okay, let me. There's a reason why Zach Scott has interim GM on his label right now. That gives you some flexibility. I wouldn't be surprised if if the Mets don't make the playoffs. That they obviously do go, you know, big name hunting again for a, a GM of this team. That kind of Sandy steps aside like he was supposed to. Zach Scott goes back to his role as assistant GM and, and has a heavy, heavy hand on the analytics side like he has in his past. I, I don't think they'll blow it up and get rid of those guys, but I think it'll only reinforce that they would like someone there. That that was the original plan anyway. I'm going to be honest. Make playoffs or not, there's going to be change. It doesn't matter. Um, Zach Scott's not getting fired regardless of what happens. I would, I would be absolutely stunned. Um, I think the Mets... They said it last year that they've had visions of a dual executive hierarchy, a president of baseball operations and a general manager. And I think their intention was Jared Porter, future president of baseball operations and Zach Scott, future general manager. And they would work hand in hand. And that's how you would run an organization. It's how a lot of top teams handle it. And I do think that Sandy Alderson may step aside. I don't think Steve Cohen would or should fire Sandy Alderson. I don't want to read a headline that Sandy Alderson was fired or dismissed. Like, let him step aside. I know that his intention was only to do this for a year or two anyway. So, you know, maybe he moves into an advisory role instead of, you know, kind of top of the chain, so to speak. And they go big fish hunting again and try to get someone to be that president of baseball operations. And you could call Zach Scott general manager, still make some, you know, number two in command here, but you really make it a, you know, a two person show. And I think that's the best way to do an organization. I think that's what the Mets want to do. Now we just have to see, I mean, last winter, no one was available to them. You know, they tried, you name a big fish, the Mets made a phone call and tried to get him. And, you know, they got what they got, which, you know, I'm happy with Zach Scott. I like hearing what he has to say. Uh, I think he handles the media well. I like the analytical background that he brings because the Mets are heading in that direction. You know, I think you're going to see some overhaul. Ultimately, Steve Cohen bought a new business. And when you buy a new business, you know what you do? You give everyone blank period of time. And you evaluate what you have in-house. And for me, I think it's one season. So he takes his first season, he evaluates everyone, and he'll make changes accordingly. Like, you'll see some overhaul here. It's just a matter of, you know, is someone getting fired? I'd be very surprised if Zach Scott were dismissed regardless of the result of this season. I agree. I don't think he's going anywhere. I just think, you know, his role will go back to what it was originally intentioned to be. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of crazy. We almost don't talk about it enough because we said after we did the episode reacting to it, we weren't going to talk about it. But the amount of turmoil this Mets team has been through this year is also something that, you know, gets brushed aside, whether it was, you know, of course, what happened with Jared Porter and, and what he did and the injuries. And, you know, there's been a lot of and not getting a president of baseball. So there's, you know, they thought they would land one of the big guys and they didn't. There's just been a lot of unexpected, I think, with this team. And you kind of hope that this offseason that all changes. So 
The next one is from Johnny. He says, do you think the shortened season last year has had an impact on fans' reactions or overreactions to good and bad stretches in the full season? Don't get me wrong. There is certainly cause for concern right now, but there are still 50 games left. Anything can happen. Uh, Absolutely. I think, you know, we do. Last year we lived in the, oh, my God, there's 60 games. You can't go two and eight (laughs) in a stretch because you're you're dead in the water probably if you do that. And, And we haven't been able to train that out of us for the most part. Now, like I've said over and over, the timing of this is just horrendous. But I do agree with you, Johnny, that the shortened season has had that kind of impact. I also think even more so than the shortened season as Mets fans, we're not necessarily used to just sitting atop first place for so long and then having, you know, hard, I'm not saying we're not used to it. I'm not saying what I am saying. No, is we, we haven't are. Had it recently. Yeah, I was going to say we are. Yeah, used we know to it, it real it well, <laughs> real well. 2007, of course, 2008. It, but what I'm saying is it's it's been a while that I think it's it's brought back some of those bad feelings that we haven't had in a long time where it's like, oh, my God, I was riding high. I felt like every single you know week I was talking to my family members that are Mets fans. I was like, this team is so fun to watch. They've dealt with injuries. They win in fun ways. The bats are going to get going in the second half. I love watching this team. And even when I hate the Mets, I still watch almost every game. So the fact that the, the payoff has been so fun this year, I think that is played into it that it's like, oh, man, I was on a high for so long and now I'm in the lowest of lows. So I think there's a lot of factors here to answer Johnny's question. But I do think the shortened season uh, has has rotted plenty of our brains in a way. I don't know. I mean, for me, I just didn't take last season seriously at all. So like to me, it I don't think it had any. Oh, with it, Rick Porcello and Michael Waka on yeah. the mound, you didn't take it seriously. I, I just mean, yeah, like the fifty game, sixty game season as a whole. So obviously the Met, obviously the Mets played poorly, but the season itself, like I thought nothing of it, like positive, negative, whatever. Like didn't really have many thoughts. So to me, I, I don't know what this fan reaction stems from. I guess I, in theory, you could attribute it to the shortened season, but. You know, just speaking from my perspective, like I almost forget that season happened. Like I'm just not really thinking about I'm trying to not think about 2020 just kind of as a whole. Uh, but Remember when they brought Todd Frazier back <laughs> and Robinson Chirinos and trade and traded for him. What a what a move. But uh, oh, yeah, to, to me, I mean, I have not seen fans like this the way they are now, um, or at least for the last couple of weeks. It's it's very uh, weird for me. Like, obviously, the Mets fans generally are negative, but it almost feels like and don't take this the wrong way, Mets fans. It almost feels like fans have been like waiting for that shoe to drop because things went well with the the reserve players the replace Mets, all that stuff. And they're waiting for it to fall apart. Because a lot of people said this isn't going to last, right? You know, and you and I probably even said that a little bit, that the success of the replaced Mets won't last. And obviously it started to fall apart and now they got healthy, whatever. But I feel like people have been waiting to kind of almost say, I told you so, right? That this was going to fall apart and now it has. Can they rebound? Yes. Like Johnny says, anything can happen. There's 50 games left. But 
I haven't seen the fan base this overly negative in a long time. And obviously the Mets have had crappy season after crappy season for most of our lives. It just feels like right now, and maybe it's just, you know, I'm in the moment and this is what I'm seeing, but I haven't seen this much negativity towards the Mets in some time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. It's it's hostile on these Twitter streets, man. I'll tell you yeah. that right now. I, yeah, and I'm judging I, on Twitter, know, too, which is a, a thing that we shouldn't recommend, you know, judging on Twitter reactions because, you know, there's people that listen to this podcast that probably are not on Twitter and, you know, probably are thankful as hell that they're not. But, yeah, the Twitter reactions, I should say, being very specific, the Twitter reactions are as negative and bad as I've seen in a long time. And, uh, yeah, it's to me, I, like I said, I, I'm always thinking big picture here and I'm like, most of you would have given up a limb to get rid of the will ponds and bring in the richest owner in sports who wants to bring a world series, wants to spend said three to five years. Like we got to give him more than three to five months. We're what? Like seven months into his ownership. Yeah. Like, he has, I, I mean, yeah, he hasn't owned the team for a year yet and there's already been quite a bit of change even if it hasn't all amounted on field yet what they're doing behind the scenes and you know just the fact they gave out a 341 million dollar contract in his first year like there's reasons to be optimistic going forward obviously you know i get it fans you just want to see the mets win right now always that's always the mets fan mantra that's new york city i totally get it but yeah it's can we can we can we think big picture just here and there? You know, I'll 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 try to continually uh, push that mantra. My my brain is so broken, like, and I know a lot of fans aren't like this because I'm sure plenty of Mets fans out there. They might only root for the Mets. They might not like other sports. They might uh, be a Giants fan as well. There's a good chance they're a Giants fans, so they've seen at least two Super Bowls in their lifetime. They've seen a, plenty of success, uh, maybe not recently, but definitely in their lifetime. Um, you know, obviously the Islanders are very good right now and, uh, you know, the, the devils ha have had a while ago, but a good stretch. So I think a lot of fans, Mets fans in general might, uh, be frustrated with the Mets because they've seen their other teams win. I I'm so broken because I've been writing rebuild plans for the Jets for, for over a decade, it feels like now. And, um, you know, I'm a Rangers fan, so I, I there's been good moments there, but they they've went through a rebuild recently. I'm a Knicks fan; they've been terrible my entire life, essentially. Um, so you know, I look at it and I think I'm just I, I just you know I get upset when the Met, I get really pissed when the Mets lose a lot like they've been. But at the same time, I'm with you, Joe. Then it's the reason you and I started this podcast. This is a fun era of Mets baseball. In a sense that this is the the first brick, right? It's the first brick in building something. And I would like to see this team win this division this year. And I would like to see this team make the playoffs and surprise someone. Oh, yeah. But uh, you're also keeping in mind that we're, you know, they are operating on a bit of a three-year plan right now. And if we're sitting here behind these microphones recording our show a year from now, it's August, the second week of August in 2022, and the Mets are extremely disappointing you know, then it's like, wow, this sucks. But I think right now, it, yes, I have expectations for this team to finish this season strong, but I do side with you that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be patient with this ownership group and give them at least a year. Yeah. And don't confuse. Let's not 
get twisted. I want them to win the World Series this year. <laughs> like, of course. Yeah, I'm a Mets fan, so don't get it twisted when I say think big picture like and make it feel like I'm making an excuse for them to not win. I expect them to go on a streak here, win the division, and then see what happens. For sure. I absolutely expect that. But better days are to come, and I think uh, often some fans struggle to look behind, beyond the right now. And right now, they stink. That's not to say they can't sweep the Nationals, score some runs, and you know hold their own this weekend against the Dodgers, and then the conversation has changed a little bit next week. But that's baseball, man. That's baseball, Susan, as they say, right? Like every week of that so Mets, you know, it's a different perspective each week, right? You see good stretches where we're like, oh, how great is this? The bullpen's awesome. So-and-so is on fire. And then, unfortunately, it's a long baseball season, so you're going to have weeks like this where it's just like, man, they really sucked for the last week. What are they going to do? So that's that's what we're here for, to cover the the ups, the downs, the in-betweens, everything. So it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely a, a, an interesting thing to really – take baseball opinions and into podcast form, right? I mean, because on Twitter, I could control what I say. When I stand, sit here behind my microphone, I honestly don't know what's going to come out of my mouth until I say it. <laughs> it's, it's a good way to live in this podcasting world. Usually, not always. Uh, take it a little advice. Um, so, <laughs> all right, let's keep this mailbag rolling because we got a lot left. This is from David. Why is it management holding Rojas accountable? In the end, he's the manager. He's responsible for the play on the field when will your podcast play i'd like to hear the answer well david uh hopefully you're listening to it right now my friend <laughs> we roll out new shows every single technically tuesday night so if you like listening to the show as soon as possible basically every tuesday around uh, usually right before first pitch on tuesday night games but i think a lot of people like to keep it simple and know when they wake up wednesday morning there's a that's so mets episode my two cents on this show and i'll keep this one really quick is that this is the first like really down and out stretch of the year for Rojas. Uh, he kept this team afloat when they had players that, quite frankly, should not have been in the majors anymore, uh, trying to, you know, field a roster by day. Like we said, they're setting they set a team record for amount of players played in a season, and it's the second week of August. So you don't just fire a guy at, at his first bad stretch. And quite frankly, I I don't really think they're doing things wrong that are Rojas related things. Is there a should, would I like to see some bark from this team this week? Yes, I would. Um, do I think that he's making bad bullpen decisions every night or the lineup stinks? Or I don't see those things. I think that Michael Conforto staring at fastballs down the middle or J.D. Davis can't catch up to anything that's over 90 miles an hour, or Brandon Nimmo grounding into a double play with the bases loaded when it seems like he does things right whenever in any other situation. I don't put that on Rojas. Guys got to freaking produce. There's guys on base. They, you know, it's not J it's not Rojas's fault. Jacob deGrom is hurt, or Noah Syndergaard had a setback, and we haven't seen him the entire year. Well, you know, or that Taiwan Walker has thrown over 100 innings when he threw 61 total in the last three years, and he's starting to burn out a little bit. He's not garbage. He's just burned out a little bit. He's working through it. I, I don't I don't know. I, maybe I've become, a, I cannot believe it. Maybe somewhere along these lines, I've become a Louis Rojas defender. I'm just not the guy on Twitter every night 
screaming for this guy's job. I kind of like him. And do I think he's, you know, the the greatest manager in, in baseball right now? Absolutely not. I don't even know if he's top 10. Do I think he's the problem with the Mets and where you start? Absolutely not. So one thing that we always say is when things are going well, the players get the credit. When things yep, are going we go. when things are going poorly, the manager gets the blame. Let us not forget on this very podcast, less than two months ago, we were talking about Luis Rojas as a manager of the year contender in the National League. Luis Rojas, I don't care how people take this, he is a good manager. I when I look at this roster, I don't see lack of motivation. Um, I don't see lack of effort. I see lack of execution. And at what point is that? Is it the player's fault that they're not playing well? Because I think everyone just uses managers in baseball, head coaches in football, in a sense, as scapegoats. When players aren't performing to their capability, well, you got to change up the coaching. To me, I want Luis Rojas managing this team. I see him defending his players. I see him getting... You know, obviously, I don't want ejections all the time, but he's willing to back his players. Oh, I love it. Yeah, and he'll get ejected from games. Um, To me, Rojas is perfectly fine. Like you said, is he one of the best managers in baseball? I mean, no, probably not. But at the end of the day, Joe Girardi won a World Series. and I don't think he's a particularly good manager either. The reality is how good your team is has a big factor in how good your manager looks, right? If your team's really good, your manager's going to look a lot better. And I know that's kind of like a simplistic view, but I'm not seeing, like you said, awful bullpen decisions or you're pulling starters at the wrong time. I feel like he has a decent, I think he's improving because I think there was an argument in the past that he needed work on his in-game strategy. I feel like watching, I have watched him progress as an in-game strategist to the point that I don't have a big issue with really any move that he's making. If Dom Smith decides to play like he played in 2020, that's a big difference. If Michael Conforto isn't staring at fastballs down the middle, that would be great. If James McCann isn't grounding in double plays and, you know, doing what he's done offensively this year, it's just the the team's not performing and to me, I, I kind of take the flip side approach. Like when things are going well, I think the manager deserves some credit. And when things are going poorly, it doesn't mean he gets, you know, no fault in it because he's part of the equation. But I think the players got to get criticized. Their job is to go out there and hit the baseball. Like I said earlier, you look at the Mets lineup tonight. It's a good lineup talent wise. Luis Rojas put them in the right order, like good players. They're just playing like crap. And if they stop playing like crap, the perception changes. So I understand the question from David. And, um, you know, ultimately, I think fans are always looking for this perfect manager that does not exist. <laughs> um, it's just it, it it's a tough spot. And, you know, I'm hopeful that Luis Rojas is managing the Mets in 2022. Kind of regardless, if they don't make the playoffs, I'd still say that. I am a big fan of him just screaming at umpires every night. Oh yeah, uh, every game because he's always yeah. he's always right. It's always when some there's a lot of time. You know, I have to catch myself on this pod, Joe, because when I did stick to football for years, I could just run my mouth as much as I wanted, which is good and bad. 
and I think you know we we keep it dialed in here. But some of these awful umpires, uh, he gives it to him, and, and I like that. I really like that about Rojas. And you know, I'm still forming my full opinion of him because I don't like I'm with you. Last year, don't care about it. Uh, this year, we're going to learn a lot about him in the next two months. But I, I'm with you that he's. I just don't think he's the issue right now. And if you want to go down the road of move on from this guy, you always got uh, my rule of thumb. And I've, I do this in football all the time. If you if you want to be the one to yell fire him, you got to give me a replacement. That's my rule. If you want, if you can be the person in the room that stands up and say fire this guy. Okay, that's what you think. Well, what's your solution? You know, everybody likes to point out the problem. Nobody likes to find the solutions. And I'll tell you, maybe I just don't know enough about the manager pool. I don't think there's Jack, you know what out there right now. Honestly, I don't see some, you know, there's no no Bill Belichick type guy sitting in free agency just waiting for a call. Doesn't exist. Not even a having a middle of the pack guy right now. So anyway, from Shan Jam crossover question for Badlands. That's a Jets pod I do. And that's so Mets. How much of the same old Jets and same old Mets narratives are boosted by the large percent of crossover Mets Jets fans in an echo chamber of misery, paranoia, and national media resentment? That is a fun <laughs> question. And, All right. And so- this is you. I, I'm going to sit back and let you go. I don't have a response for this one. So this is you. I'm a Cowboys fan. I'm not I'm not in that in that world. So all you, you, you know what? No, it's it's a good question because. There are a lot of parallels between the two. And a lot of people always ask, you know, why are why is it Jets Mets a lot? Well, you know, they both obviously uh, played at Shea Stadium once upon a time. So at least that's how I know my family origins is Ben Mets Jets going back to the the Shea Stadium days for both. So to answer this, I do think it is boosted by constant misery, right? Because I notice it's very interesting to me. The Jets fans, because I interact with more of them than any fan base in the entire world, no matter what, where I'm working, what I do, no matter what. And a lot of them are Yankee fans, understandably. And I do notice that they they have obviously different expectations because Yankee, the Yankee fan has an expectation in sports that is I would say almost unmatched. I don't know enough about the Premier League at the moment to really get into that comparable. But, you know, and maybe once upon a time, obviously your Cowboys and of course the Lakers. But I do think the Yankee fan has a level of expectations um, that can be unmatched at times. So I think when, you know, they look at it with the Jets, they kind of just go, why can't this team get it right? You know, whatever the Yankees will be good. I think with the the Mets fans that are also Jets fans, a lot of seasons are a constant one bad to the other. And me and my dad had have a running joke our entire lives that whenever the Jets are out of it, which unfortunately is usually very very early, we always say the countdown to pitchers and catchers and he'll know the days or the weeks, whatever it is, like literally off the top of his head. And I'd be like, yeah, you're right. And and honestly, there's been some really good Mets moments in my lifetime. While there's been a few good Jets seasons in my lifetime as well, they're often not during the same time period, like 2009, 2010. The Jets are really good. The Mets were in the, in the abyss, um, you know, and on and on and on. 2015, 
So, you know, difference there. So I do think there is, I think paranoia is the perfect word. Misery, yeah, misery kind of follows with a lot of fan bases. Paranoia, more in the mold of, oh my God, you know, Matt Harvey's, Matt Harvey needs Tommy John or or his shoulder is destroyed and he'll never be the same again. Noah Syndergaard needs Tommy John. Oh my God, Jacob deGrom is going in for his sixth MRI. Uh, you know, oh my God, Chad Pennington's shoulder just got blown up in half in a preseason game. We're expected to be really good this year. It's over. Oh, uh, the, the Jets are eight and three. Brett Favre's shoulder gets hurt. Team looks like they can make it to a Super Bowl and then they don't even, you know, they don't do anything. They're terrible uh, the rest of the year after that eight and three start. So I, I think the paranoia and misery really do follow each other because you're always waiting for, like Joe said earlier in that show, uh, you're waiting for the shoe to drop. You really, really are. And until one of those franchises consistently, not a season here like the Mets 2015 World Series run or the Jets back-to-back AFC Championship games where they couldn't get over the hump and that window was over, until there's a consistent stretch of success and not things going catastrophically wrong, whether it's a quarterback getting hurt or an ace pitcher getting hurt or letting a free agent go, the greatest player in Jets history and Darrell Rivas just trading him. Or, you know, the Mets have let guys go out the door a lot, like Jose Reyes and Zach Wheeler. That that feeling will not leave until those things are are fixed. And I think I have a lot of faith that Steve Cohen is the guy that'll get it right for the Mets. Um, it, quite frankly, that's where I'm at in terms of which side bucks the trend first. Sorry, Joe, I'm probably boring you over there. No, I, I'm I'm good. I I, I want to hear it. So, yeah, no, I think I think it's a good question. Like I said, I I really can't relate. I mean, my Cowboys in football, they try. Um, they just fail. They do everything they can. Yeah, they just fail all the time. But they try. And, you know, they're maximizing their cap. They're, you know, every year they have talent. But they have ne- they have not put it together in a very, very, very long time. So for my sake and for Connor's sake, maybe it'll be Cowboys Jets in the Super Bowl this year. Oh my, not this year. Come Man. on. Zach Wilson's <laughs> just going to take over. I did throw in a Dak Prescott MVP bet, a, a sprinkle bet. Not, I'm not yeah. putting like $100 on it, but I put in I put in some money on Zach, on Dak Prescott MVP. It was like something crazy. It was like 10, it was like plus 1500 or something like that. Yeah. So I have rooting interest in your Cowboys, especially since he's my dynasty quarterback as well. <laughs> um, and, and we'll see. I'm excited for hard knocks this week as well. Uh, you know, it, it makes me wonder, and maybe it's just not that interesting, wouldn't it be a good idea for baseball to push for some kind of spring training hard knocks? Like they they do they want to improve visibility so much and there's just not a lot of branding around their players. I think that would be there's certain teams you could really do with it. Like I think the Mets are actually a really fun team uh off of the field. That would be interesting to watch. Everyone should do it. Every sport should do it. There should every, be you're right. Every tra- team tra- should do it within their media. You're right. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, like there should be a big picture thing. Like there should be an MLB produced show, whatever you want to call it. Spring training with the Mets and or spring training with the Phillies. Pick a team just like the NFL does. You know, get some visibility to these players. Makes them feel relatable. Like I'm going to watch Hard Knocks for the Cowboys. There's going to be players I never heard of that I'm now going to root for <laughs> that are bottom roster players or whatever. And it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a great opportunity. And I don't see why there isn't a uh, whatever, what do they call the NBA? Is it training camp? I don't even know. Like, uh, what, I guess what, so. Yeah, like training yeah. training with the Knicks and then in the NHL do a Rangers thing. Like there's fans of all these sports. So 
you know, cater to them, get these, get these players. What I like most about hard knocks is it makes the guys that I watch on Sunday in uniform and helmet, like that look like robots out there into, into people. And that's, that's how fans. And I think that goes for any sport. Fans want to feel like they relate to players. Like those are the ones that people cheer for is kind of relatable characters. So I think hard knocks is great for the NFL. And yeah, if it would be very wise for MLB, NBA, NHL to do something similar. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I know HBO did a, it's my favorite sports series that's ever been done 24 seven when the Rangers and Flyers were playing in the winter classic about God, maybe eight to nine years ago. And it was incredible, but it's just not consistent. And, you know, that was a special because of the winter classic. So it's, and I think the MLB is exploring ways to figure it out. They just haven't done a great job right now. It's as simple as that. All right. This is from MK. Given that the farm system is thin, should the team just sell big league talent and rebuild since this core has had its chance for a few years? No. Joe, I'm just I'm just going to toss that to you immediately. No, 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 no. You have. <laughs> look, here's the reality. You don't. based on a farm system being thin, that doesn't mean you quit at the major league level too. Just because, look, I am the prospect guy. That's what I do. But I don't, like where they rank doesn't really matter in the scheme of things. You don't win a championship by having Baseball America's number one farm system. Like, it's just not how it works. Obviously, would I like them to have a better farm system? Yes, that would be fantastic for my line of work where I talk about prospects. It'd be great if there were better players. And I think they want to do so. With that said, you do. this team does not need to rebuild. I think their core is very strong. Uh, it's mostly, you know, young, young enough that it's not like you're at the end of a window. And you got over $14 billion. Steve Cohen, you know how the Mets are going to turn around at the major league level? Steve Cohen's money. Like, that's how you're going to do it. And that will go down the chain, too, through analytics, through player development, through the draft, through international free agency, through getting involved in Asia, finally. When's the last time the Mets invested in, you know, an Asian player that you see the Shohei Otanis come over? And it's just like the Mets need to be more invested in everything. And I think Steve Cohen's going to do that. And yeah, no, you don't rebuild. You take. Steve Cohen's money and you invest in players that are going to perform. And from a big picture kind of standpoint, I I think where MK is kind of getting at here is like, maybe you just don't keep this whole core together. Maybe you do some outside the box stuff like this offseason. Do you consider trading a Jeff McNeil? Just using him as an example. Like, do you consider like who is truly part of this core? Because, I mean, do you really want to bring back the same exact lineup next year? Because under contractual control is most of it. Like, you know, Robinson Cano maybe comes back in the picture. I doubt it. But the only offensive player that's, that is conceivably a regular for this team, the only ones that are free agents are Conforto and Javi Baez. And in theory, you have like J.D. Davis. So like if Javi goes, you still have a guy. But this team is intact as far as contractual control. So do you use this offseason to maybe change up the core and trade a guy that, you know, a few weeks ago, we might have said no way. Like, 
outside the box thinking too is another way that I think you'll uh, you'll kind of make some progression. But yeah, you don't rebuild. No, you're not trading Jeff McNeil for prospects. You're trading Jeff McNeil for an impact player at another position, and just change up what that core looks like. I that I can kind of see, but rebuild definitely not. Yeah, no way, uh, no way. I don't think they'll go into a rebuild anytime soon. It's a huge step that ownership needs to approve, and and we know Steve Cohen is no interest in that. All right, last question of a long episode number 54, almost as big as Alex Torres's padded hat. All right, from Almir Lima Jr., has Zach Scott earned the full-time job as GM? How does the rocker failure influence his fate? Thanks. What do you think? Um, so if Zach Scott was the head of baseball operations, I would not be upset. Um, does that mean they shouldn't pursue someone bigger named? They should always be looking to get the best people on field, in the dugout, in the front office, in the scouting department, in the player development department, in the analytics research and development department. They should be pursuing the best every year. They should always be looking to improve. So if they hire Zach Scott and make him the full-time number one of baseball operations, you're not going to see me complain about it but I'm not opposed to hiring someone above him. Um, as far as the rocker stuff, like I I think this will be probably the last time we talk about Kumar Rocker until next MLB draft. It's not a failure. The Mets medical diagnosis made them not willing to sign him. That's it. It's not a failure. It's a failure of the process, like we mentioned. And that's it. It's a failure of the process. It's not a Mets problem. It's not a Kumar Rocker or Scott Boris problem. I feel like everyone feels like they need to pick a side, like the Mets were wrong or Rocker and Boris are wrong. Sometimes things just don't work out. And in this case, it just it just didn't work out. It's unfortunate. Um, Mets will move on, have two first round picks next year. But uh, yeah, that's kind of the end of Kumar Rocker stuff, I think, for me. And yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with Zach Scott. I think there's a distinct chance he ends up the full-time GM, possible number one of baseball operations. But again, the Mets should always be pursuing the best of everything. Without a doubt. I think that you got to think big here. And they'll go through it all. They know as much as anyone after having Scott be the guy for the last couple of months, what they have in him. I think it was the fact that he came here as an assistant GM shows you that he just doesn't strike me as this guy, this this guy that's looking for this power hungry role right now. I think if they hired someone above him, he'd be like, all right, I'm going to stay out of the way. And I mean, I'm sure he hates doing these pressers as we're sitting here doing the show. He's doing one right now. Probably hates doing these pressers anyway. At this point, uh, you know, he just he wasn't expected to do this kind of stuff. And quite frankly, he's done a pretty nice job overall. I, I really do believe that. I, I think he's done a pretty nice job. I think he's very honest uh, with the media. And, and I think that he. You know, I liked the Baez move, and if I'm I'm wrong about it, it's something I'll sit there and, you know, I'll be like, I was wrong. It didn't work out. It's it's, it's a shame. But I, I've liked things he's done, and I, I've i liked moves he's made off the scrap heap. You know, Billy McKinney gave this team some juice uh, when they needed it, and when they needed to get rid of him, they got Carlos Rincon, who, who is, you know, I don't know if he's ever going to be anything, but he's absolutely lighting it up for the Binghamton Mets right now. So Rumble post. I don't know. Oh, the oh yeah, exactly oh, the ponies. Yeah, they're he not is the... the Rumble Pony right now. <laughs> so I mean, so they've done. He's done a lot of nice things under the radar. Where 
you know, I'm not on the full-time GM, you know, train and I'm not on the firearm train uh, as I often am. I'm somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. So, all right. Episode 54. Uh, great show. We really had we it's our longest show we've ever done, I guess, because we had to. It's funny when the team's bad. There's more to talk about. Joe, what are, you, what are your closing thoughts for this show? You know, uh, it's it's time to turn it around. We start tonight with the Washington Nationals and that's it. It's it's time for the Mets to get over this it, two the two and eight stretches over. There's nothing you can do about it. It's in the past. You start today, you hit and you move forward. And, you know, hopefully when we're talking this time next week, you know, the, the Mets lost first place in like 48 hours. Maybe they can get it back in a week. Well said. Uh, well said. It can go. It can go quickly. And you can get back just as quickly. Got to take care of business, you know, and if they if they start to get hot, we'll maybe have to jump on the old YouTube and, and go through some of the fun stuff. I think that would be that would be really good. And as always, next week, episode 55, I got to be honest, it's not going to get much better with the numbers, but there is some ones that we could have fun with there as well. Thank you so much, everyone. Keep leaving those Apple reviews, especially if you want your question answered Uh, at the top of the show as well. And we will catch you next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're Black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.